Ladies and gentlemen, it's the latest episode of Zach on Film. Joining me, like always, Steven Schleicher. Uh, what do you got there, Zach? Uh, is, that, that, is, that a, is that a milkshake? Yeah, you want a really can long I, can straw? I, can I drink your milkshake? I mean, if you want to. All right, I will drink your milkshake. <laughs> this week on Zach on Film, we are talking the number one rated movie according to New York Times since the year 2000, <laughs> the Paul Thomas Anderson 2007 film, There Will Be Blood. Have you seen a lot of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson stuff? No. You because haven't? we always talk about Boogie Nights, and I have yet have to see it. Not seen no, it? I still so haven't watched here's it. Here's the thing: I could have swore <laughs> when I saw Paul Thomas Anderson's name pop up. I could have swore Boogie Nights was on the list, and I'm almost positive we've watched Boogie Nights. I I am with on Marky it, Mark and his yeah, giant wine. No, have we always just reference it? We really? reference it all the time, right. and I've yet to see it. I'm gonna watch it now. I honestly think this was. This is the only Paul Thomas Anderson movie so I've seen. You've not seen Heart Eight, which is no. It's his first film. It's okay. I'm I'm not a super fan of it, although a lot of people really like it because uh, I believe that it has yeah John C. Riley is in it. I'm pretty sure it has William H Macy in it as Ooh. well. Yeah, a lot of his films have William H Macy in it. Uh, then Boogie Nights, of course, which mm-hmm. is a favorite of mine. Probably yeah. uh, of all the Paul Thomas Anderson films, this is my favorite. Uh, then Magnolia, which is okay. It's got Tom Cruise in it, but it wasn't yeah. Boogie Nights, and I think it really confused a lot of people. Okay. <laughs> then you have Punch Drunk Love, which is the um, Adam Sandler one where everyone's like, oh, this is going to be a comedy. And then they find out that, oh, wait a minute, this is not a comedy at all. It's pretty good. I hear, I yeah, mean, I've never watched it. It's pretty good I, in that I've heard a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And then there's There Will Be Blood, which is what we're talking about today. Yeah. Then The Master, which you haven't, if you haven't seen The no, Master, it's really, really good. It's a, it's that's a mind the, master episode. The Scientology that's one, right? That's the Scientology one. Uh, and then Inherent Vice, which I, I again, another one that I enjoy. Yeah, I watched it. It's kind of crazy. And I haven't seen um, this one, Junoon. I haven't seen that one. It's a documentary. Oh, no. Um, and then uh, Phantom Thread about the fashion industry in the 1950s, which will star Daniel Day-Lewis. That is what he's currently working on. So oh. I have seen all but this uh, documentary. So I really like Paul Thomas Anderson. He has a unique voice, I think, when it comes to uh, telling stories about family and oftentimes looking at topics that some people would want to shy away from. Like the porn industry in Boogie Nights is like fully embraced mm-hmm. to where it's just like, this is people's jobs and this is how it affects those people's jobs. But here's how people come and make families out of one another. And the family, the family theme really runs or relationships mm-hmm. really run through a lot of his films. So if you like, there will be blood, uh, boogie nights. I would, I would highly recommend, mm-hmm. uh, and probably before you have a kid too, because okay, you know, yeah, sure. after that, you don't want the <laughs> kid walking in at four years old going, why is that man's wiener so big? <laughs> will mine get that big daddy? <laughs> no son. Uh, and no, then the not. master again is an, I, I like all of these films. Punch drunk love is just an eh, SSO. I, I rate it. It's one of my least favorite ones down okay. there with heart eight, but, uh, master's really good. If you want something a little bit, uh, more recent. And of course that has, um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in it, right? Which is a great performance by him too. And so, he's in a most he's of in his, most of he? his stuff. He's not yeah. in this one, but he's in Boogie Nights. And... To, yeah, he's in Boogie Nights. I'm trying to remember if he was in Inherent Vice. I don't think he appeared. Oh yeah, he appears briefly in Inherent Vice. Okay, and then uh, yeah, then then that's it. So yeah, interesting. So this is I'm going to say this is the second time I've watched There Will Be Blood. The first time I watched it was my first summer at Next Tech. So it was like 2009 oh, right, right. and I had mm-hmm. a TV in my office mm-hmm. and it was before I realized I can't have a TV on and get work done. <laughs> and so on HBO, because we were a cable company, I had all mm-hmm. the channels, There Will Be Blood was on. And so I watched all of it 
And by that, I mean I watched it in periodic breaks between like actually doing work. Right. So I knew the general scope of the film and i mm-hmm. certainly remember how it ended mm-hmm. in that paul dano's character uh, is kind of a loop-de-loo yeah um but certainly did not take the time and dedicate like a chunk of uh two hours and 45 minutes of it do- it doesn't watching feel like all two hours 45 minutes no, no 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 but so it was a much better viewing experience when you can actually watch mm-hmm. the entire thing instead of like Faking, you're actually working while watching this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, the Ruby Blood is the Daniel Day Lewis starring film about a man named Daniel Plainview mm-hmm. who starts out with pretty much nothing down in the bottom of a hole in, in Kansas. Yeah, and works his way all the way up to being potentially one of the biggest oil tycoons in all of America, mm-hmm. and um, faces some interesting. Struggle, struggles, mostly self-inflicted along the I would way. Say, I would say for the most part, all of his problems are self-inflicted. And why do you think that they are self-inflicted? Because I think they come from two sources. Well, maybe three. If you, one might be a vice, but what, what do you think are his sources of – what are his problems? Yeah, so Daniel Plainview is essentially obsessed with becoming – incredibly wealthy do you think he's obsessed with becoming incredibly wealthy because i i never get the sense that he's obsessed with becoming incredibly wealthy as much as he i mean unless you want to say he's obsessed with becoming incredibly powerful i think more powerful is probably the more important phrasing on there because uh one of his biggest problems is he hates competition yes and and we see time and time again in the movie is anytime he perceives competition he gets rid of it, whether mm-hmm. he sends it away, whether he, you know, bashes it in the face, whether he shoots it in the face, whether he accidentally may have some piece of machinery fall down on someone. Mm-hmm. Um, he does not like competition. And that is a big, a big problem for him. Right. Yeah. And it, it is such a problem that at the end of the film, he is fine with sending his son away and also being like, Oh, by the way, you were never my son. Yeah. You were a prop this entire time mm-hmm. and, uh, have fun pr- losing because right. I will beat you to yeah, the ground. I will beat you. What do you think? Another one of his issues is, um, you mean like besides the drinking? Well, so the alcoholism, big. the alcoholism is, is probably another one that a lot of people point out and yeah. they, they point out very early on that alcohol is his, really his best friend because it's with him Always. Mm -hmm. Right. Doesn't matter if he is mining for silver or he's on his first uh, oil well dig in Los Angeles or or wherever that he may be. Alcohol is always present and he's always trying to I don't want to say force alcohol on other people, although he does do it onto his adopted son constantly throughout (laughs) the film. Um, But, yeah, I think alcoholism is another big problem for him because by the time the movie ends and he's late in life, he's essentially just gone. And, oh, and yeah. I think that ultimately leads to him killing Eli, the the preacher, mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the film. Yeah, even in the first third of the film, when I can't remember what accident has happened at his drill site, but we come in to Daniel's space and he's essentially just passed out in the middle of the floor mm-hmm. with his son in the bed. Mm-hmm. That's pretty early on. And, yeah. and then it's just mainly subtle references through it. Well, I mean, you know, even even when his uh, partner or one, I guess it's a construction worker, but I always thought of of him as his partner, 
uh, is killed in the bottom of the well. And so he takes on H.W. as his adopted son. First thing we see is he's dipping the nipple in alcohol and trying to get the kid to quiet down on it. Mm. Later on, um, after H.W. has had an accident, which has left him mostly deaf, uh, if not completely deaf, but I think mostly deaf is how they how it comes across. Yeah. Because the way they sound design it, it's like he can hear muffled sounds, mm-hmm. um, but not an, a comprehension. Um, but uh, when his brother shows up, he basically pours like half a glass of Jack into milk and then yeah. forces H.W. to drink it down. Uh, and then basically throughout the movie, anytime someone's offering him a drink, he's doing it until the very end, which is surprising because at the very end, when he's uh, when he and Eli are having their confrontation, uh, Eli offers him drinks and he's like, no, thanks. And right. It's like, whoa, that's uh, especially surprise. I mean, he did just like drink half a bottle right. of like vodka. <laughs> right, 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 right. Right. So what was the other issue with Daniel you were referencing? I think he has a real um, ego that puts him or maybe it's his id that is bigger than religion. Because he just has a real problem with religion and doesn't like people telling him where, what to do. And uh, personally, I think a lot of this movie is him butting heads with Eli over Eli wants something. So you have religion on one side and you have consumerism or you have capitalism on the other side uh, represented mm-hmm. by, um, um, by Daniel Day-Lewis, by Daniel uh, Plainview. And those two just clash throughout the entire film. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. I mean, Eli wants to give a blessing to the oil well before it starts. And uh, he basically, you know, partly it's Eli's problem for coming and saying, well, here's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And plain view is like, I'm not going to do that. Screw you. And mm-hmm. he does just the opposite as so much to rub, his, rub the face, rub uh, Eli's face in it uh, when it comes to launching that. So those are the three that I looked at and, you know, alcoholism, the ego and religion, and then the, uh, uh, the competition are the things that I, I really think are his biggest downfalls. Absolutely, yeah. And so you touched on the religion part, and that comes in in There Will Be Blood in the form of Paul Dano's character of Eli Sunday, mm-hmm. who is a part of the Sunday family, and we're introduced to that through Eli's identical twin. Yeah, which uh, is really which weird. Is, it's just strange. And I read an anecdote that said originally Paul Dano was cast as Paul Sunday, who, right. is, who we, we see in the beginning of the film, comes to Daniel to give him information about where there is oil seeping through the ground. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to get money uh, from Daniel to lay claim on this. And just for, essentially just for the information to go to his family's ranch right. and take this land. When Daniel goes there with his son and they're uh, looking around, he ends up having uh, dinner with the Sunday family and sitting at the table is Paul Dano, mm-hmm. but he is not Paul Sunday. He is Eli Sunday. Right. And it took me a while in this film to realize they're not the same person and that he wasn't just using a fake name at the beginning of the yeah, film. So that's what I thought too, is maybe he was using a fake name or I didn't catch the name so that yeah. when they got to the Sunday uh, ranch, they had to pretend like they didn't know each other right. because there's a real reaction from uh, Plainview and, and HW who are looking at him like, don't we know each other? And right. Eli's like, I don't know you. So that was one thing that I thought. But then the other thing that I thought was perhaps someone has a split personality and doesn't realize it. Mm-hmm. A Cain and Abel uh, mentality kind of thing going. And that's kind of how um, Paul and Eli are kind of portrayed in this in sure. this film a little bit where basically – 
Paul is gone. He's yeah. he's dead. I mean, he's not dead dead, but I mean, he's dead from the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get that weird that weirdness kind of going on with that. But it is a bit confusing. It's a bit confusing, and I think that's a. I don't know if it's a problem or it's just it's a quirk about this film in that many things aren't explained. Right. As uh, kind of like the HW situation, if you're not really paying really close attention during the first 15 minutes of the movie when there's no dialogue whatsoever, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you don't pick up on that maybe that actually was Daniel's son the entire time. And they literally, we skipped four years at the beginning. So Mm -hmm. it's like, well, there's a child here now. It could be his, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And then then the Paul-Eli situation is... Explained essentially, I think, in like two scenes when Eli gets mad at his dad for calling mm-hmm. him essentially an idiot mm-hmm. and his son as an idiot, his other son, Paul. Right. Uh, that's briefly explained. And then at the very end of the movie, when Daniel and Eli uh, clash to the death at the end, he essentially says, Paul got all the money. You're, you bet wrong on the religion. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. made right by betting on the oil. Right. Um, so those are like the only two scenes that really confirm that they're different people. Oh, yeah, that they are different people. And sure. like there's not something really weird happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but so, so Eli's, yeah, like you said, he's, he is a very... He's not a devout religious person. He is. Uh, he like pretends to be. He pretends to be. Super He's like a charlatan. So, so yeah, to me, he is the. And again, I'm not trying to put any religion down. No, no, no. He it's just the, this character. He is your um, TV preacher dude. Yeah. Who's asking for money and he faith heals by driving out the spirits and all that stuff. He's mm-hmm. what. Uh, He's the uh, third, revelation third revelation church or whatever it is, which yeah. may be a real church. I'm not sure. No. But. Um, you know, it's that that part of the religion. And because that area of the country really seems starved for religion. I mean, they are mm-hmm. really in the middle of nowhere. Uh, this little town of New Boston or whatever yeah, it's New called. Boston. Or Little Boston. Little Boston, sorry. right. And, and so people, if they want church, I mean, they've got Eli who proclaims to be talking to God and is able to perform miracles mm-hmm. to get people's rheumatism uh, gone around uh, away. So it's easy to suck people into that. And then when the um, oil workers come, they also get sucked Mm -hmm. into that. So there's this really pull from the church. And, you know, Eli is just like, look, if you want to use this land, you need to tithe to the church and Mm -hmm. we deserve money because you're on this land and you need to build us a thing. And really, Eli has no... No claim to anything. No, no, no. I mean, Daniel and the father, Mr. Sunday, made the deal. And that's it. And Eli keeps pushing and pushing and causing problems and starts pointing out to people and, you know, that, oh, well, these accidents are happening on your site is because you didn't let me come in and bless this stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, Daniel just kind of wants that gone away with. He doesn't want people really thinking that there's any kind of mysticism behind it. This is just man this versus nature. And this is man conquering nature. And this is the way it's got to be. And go away religion and faith. Yeah, I think Daniel is perfectly fine with Eli doing what I think he perceives from the very beginning to be a giant scam. Right. As Eli is the one that actually conducts the deal for the land, mm-hmm. uh, for his family's land instead of his his dad, who would have taken much less money <laughs> right, right. for the land. Right. Um, and I think Daniel is fine with Eli until he comes asking to do the blessing mm-hmm. on the well. Mm-hmm. Cause I believe Daniel sees it as a power move to right. be like, if this well works, Eli will say it is because of my blessing right. 
that it worked, not because of the hard work and ingenuity that I have put in and the mm-hmm. labor and of these men mm-hmm. to find this place and build these machines. It'll right. just be this charlatan saying, I bless this well. We are now all rich because of it. And yeah. and Daniel cannot stand that. Right. It is, because it, it's competition. It's competition. Right? It's competition with God. Yeah. Uh, which, again, another problem that, that Daniel has is just competition with everyone, even when a stranger shows up who claims to be his half-brother mm-hmm. and based on the tales that he's, hear, or he's heard, he's never known of this person before, but... Uh, this man, uh, Henry, has uh, paperwork, he has diaries, he has stats and figures about what has happened. And so he takes him in and says, hey, this is my half-brother. And he starts, you know, br- making him part of the family until he starts reminding him about things that would have happened or would have been familiar in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And finally he's like, wait a minute, this is this guy is not my brother. He's lying right. about something and essentially uh, beats the truth out of him mm-hmm. and then kills him. Yeah. And then that's when uh, they're trying to get this piece of property from this guy um i forget who it oh. is mr mr brady brandy brandy Brand- bandy, bandy that's his name and um he kind of knows that daniel killed his brother this guy claiming to be his brother Which, how do you find that out when that happens this is very confusing he was drunk i mean first of all daniel was drunk sure. so a freshly freshly dug grave is probably, <laughs> probably not that, good. Not that uh, <laughs> hard to find uh, especially when you do it right next to his property <laughs> or on his yeah. property. And good so point. then that gets – that is the the kind of the noose around the neck that Eli needs to get what he wants from from Daniel and makes him come to church and confess that he sent his son away. And it's not – you know, it's not Daniel's fault that he had to send his son away. His son can't hear. He needs to go to a special school. First, mm-hmm. he wants to send him to, a, a, I think, an, insane, or an asylum. Mm-hmm. And that that doesn't really work out. But then he gets him a teacher to teach him sign language and all this stuff. And Eli just uses it against him and, and humiliates Daniel in front of everyone, which really if the seed hadn't been planted for rage and revenge. Daniel has a 30 year plan on how I'm going to oh, get sure. this guy back and humiliate him and just, you know destroy religion in one in one dramatic scene at the end of the movie sure in the scene when daniel is being uh i would come I to, it's coming to, come to jesus but it is a i am coming to jesus so i can be a millionaire type right. situation right, where he, right. he's just he doesn't really believe it mm-hmm. he's going along with oh the song no and i dance. mean there's no there's no. no point in this movie where you believe that daniel has any kind of faith in that scene is big because it is it is Eli getting revenge on Daniel because uh, earlier in the film, Eli comes to Daniel and be like, hey, dude, you said you were going to give my church $5,000 a long mm-hmm. time ago and you don't have it. And Daniel just bitch slaps him oh, yeah, yeah. and just throws him in the mud yeah. and is just and like not having him. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then Eli gets this situation now where he gets to... And the people in the crowd don't see it as embarrassment, but Eli knows this is embarrassing or degrading, at least mm-hmm. for Daniel, mm-hmm. and because he has him on his knees, on his knees, essentially, and he's beg- him. essentially begging yep. for this money by saying that he's a believer and a sinner, and it's he sent his son away and has done all these horrible things. And it, you're right, uh, Daniel puts up with it because he wants to be rich, right? Do you, but in that m- scene, mm-hmm. it seems. To me, watching it, that Daniel does have an emotional reaction to the idea that he abandoned 
this child. Which is probably why in the very next scenes after that, the um, sign language guy comes on board. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he may he have a, he may have a little bit of, oh, I have, you know, this kid was my only family. Mm -hmm. But then there's also, you know, the the statement at the end where Daniel tells H.W., hey, I've just used you as a party trick essentially to get people to buy into my thing that I'm a family man. Yeah. Maybe there's even a realization that, look, I'm struggling right now and it's because I don't have H.W. here. He's either I don't want to say a good luck charm, but he is essential to my schemes yeah that's possible i but in but you that, yes in, i would in, i would agree with you that it, initially it yeah. does appear that there is regret of what he has done yes yeah because then hw does come back and then i know we keep jumping around a little bit but in that final scene with hw when he tells them that he never actually was his son mm -hmm. it does i believe it is that sequence that does a flashback to younger Daniel and HW when he's running around as a child mm -hmm. with and the girl. Fun, yeah. And it seems like that is a like a reminiscing point mm -hmm. for Daniel of a nice time. Right. Because it is I don't think Daniel ever would have told HW he wasn't his son if he wouldn't have been I if HW hadn't said, I'm leaving you, I'm gonna go start my own oil company. Yeah. I think it's, it yeah. definitely seems like he's trying to get in his head. Like that competitive spirit is like, mm -hmm. if you're gonna do this I'm going to like degrade you and then you're going to have to try to pick yourself together and try to mm -hmm. do this because mm -hmm. I, uh, I want every advantage I can have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. Let me ask you, when uh, when he is finding religion and Eli's slapping yeah. him around, at the end of the service, Ooh, he turns and yeah. whispers something in Eli's ear that nobody hears, mm -hmm. not even the audience, mm -hmm. and then Eli kind of just walks away. Yeah, it's a, it's a great thing because after he... Uh, Daniel's been baptized with the water. He, he essentially is only talking about the pipeline. Mm -hmm. And even when it's hard to hard to hear, but when Eli is just ranting and raving like he does, you can hear Daniel almost mocking him mm -hmm. of like, "Oh, here it goes. It's like it's coming." And yeah, yeah. It, he can he's just mocking him subtly in the background all the time. Uh, it has to be something like, "You're gonna get the money, but I'm like gonna kill you or something." Uh, Something sinister that Daniel says to Eli that yeah, no one hears. Because Eli's shook after it. Mm -hmm. he's, he's not operating on the same level yeah. that he was. And it's really weird. I mean, right? I mean, I, it's kind of a, I know it's, when you're watching it, maybe it jumps out to people, but it seemed very subtle. And then it brings up that question. What did he say? Because Eli doesn't run away. Although soon after he does go. He does leave. He does leave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and becomes a radio preacher. Yeah. Which is fine because that's all down the road. But it's like maybe it's like you better get out of town or I'm going to kill you. I don't know. You know. Yeah. Because it would seem like if there was a threat like that, that it should be included in the story. Right. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's again, maybe it's just something left to the viewer's interpretation, especially when we get to the uh, last line in the movie where Eli has come to visit uh, Daniel and ask for money because the stock market has, has crumbled and he's losing all his money and and, and, and Eli is needing money from from Daniel and Daniel was basically like well you need to denounce religion and say that you're yeah. a scam and all this stuff it's a really dramatic piece really good scene and then um, Eli says something to really make Daniel angry and he grabs a bowl, uh, bowling pin and beats Eli to death just yeah. smashes his head open and the butler comes down and um, to check on him Daniel just basically says I'm finished yeah last last lines mm -hmm. of the film and they kick in with like 
Brahm or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Beethoven. Is it Beethoven? I think it is, oh. yeah. uh, so what do you think? What's the, what is your interpretation of I'm finished? Yeah, the, the I'm finished thing is interesting because is it him saying he's done that he's overcome his final competitor? So that's, you know, that's one that's one really deep way to look at it if you're looking at it from the capitalism standpoint mm. of I'm finished, meaning I have defeated all of my enemies. I have mm. defeated drink, and maybe he has when he's like no no alcohol for me <laughs> in that last scene. Who knows? Uh, Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> uh, he's uh, gotten rid of his son, which he sees as competition. He's gotten rid of Henry, his, his fake brother, and now he's gotten rid of Eli, all these people that he allowed to get close to him, and now he's had to get rid of them. So I'm finished is, yeah, I've, I'm done with my... I'm done. I'm the I'm the king of it all. And then yet there is <laughs> an almost an exact opposite of that that I thought of kind of initially where it makes me seem like I'm done with all of this. Like I don't want a part of this anymore. Could be. Um and that's again another valid I think interpretation yeah. that people have had. Yeah, it, it is it, that line is very much open and then, to interpretation. I guess my interpretation is, oh, I've screwed up and there's no way. I mean, I'm, I'm almost positive that if he beat somebody to death in his home mm-hmm. with as rich as he is during this time period, that there's no way it's going to come back on oh, him. Oh, gosh, no. That was never there's almost in my There's mind. almost a little feeling of, okay, I've done it. I'm finished. My career is over kind of thing. Mm. And I... I mean... It, possible too i mean like yeah. what if the butler was like a narc and just like ratted him out <laughs> well, you know no, i don't, I don't <laughs> think it would be like that but it's just like you know there's this idea of um you know that that i've ruined my career and i finally realized that i've ruined everything i'm mm-hmm. finished uh kind of comes up there whether it's ruined family or you know ruined relationships or or whatever but there was i guess in and thinking about it the time period he probably would have gotten away scot-free yeah oh. uh yeah, I mean, people now get like, <laughs> like if you're oh, rich, sure. you're not getting really convicted. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that I'm finished is is really interesting. I think to me, it makes more sense narratively and through the character that it is, I'm, uh, I'm finished with this competition that mm-hmm. I've won because I believe that musical piece that kicks in right after he says that is the same piece of music that plays at the dedication of the oil well oh, after okay. he snubs Eli. Okay. Uh, I remember this because I, I think it's in a video I linked to you uh, from the YouTube channel Nerdwriter. Okay. He does a explanation of there will be blood mm-hmm. through shot counting and structure. I think it's that video, I hope it is. I'll have to watch okay. it again. Well, it was it off looks like one. you said you shared two videos, it looks like. Yeah. The, the, and the, I'll put those up in the show notes. Yeah. So the Nerd Writer one, I believe, is what it is in reference to. I watched like five videos over There Will Be Blood uh, this week after I watched it. And that score is repeated from the oil well scene oh, okay. and from the ending. So if that's the mirror they're trying to put, then I would think it's... Daniel overcoming this competitor that essentially had a larger than life person or idea on its mm-hmm. back instead of just like the nature of oil. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a very good ending. Uh, I you know th- there will I mean, be it's blood. a satisfying ending, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I mean we 
go almost what three decades of Daniel's life. Yeah, it's like eighteen ninety five to nineteen twenty seven. Yeah, something, something like that. that. So or eighteen eighty six. It like seems that. like really there's no more left of Daniel's story. I think he mm-hmm. just becomes old and decrepit and dies alone, mm-hmm. and that's not anything I really want to watch uh, from this film. I think we get a low point in the beginning. And we kind of get a low point at the end, unless uh, a low point in most people's moral uh, compass of beating someone to death and then saying you're finished instead of his idea. He probably is like, I'm on top, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. I've overcome everything mm-hmm. and now I'll play, I'll bowl by myself, I guess, until I die. I think he could do that. I think he could do. I think he'd be fine. Yeah. Uh, one film, There Will Be Blood, was constantly compared to when I was reading people's, uh, critiques and an analysis of it online was um citizen kane a little bit yeah uh, you know a very mm-hmm. power money hungry uh mildly crazy main character going from nothing to the top uh of his industry and then essentially right. dying alone i think the big difference though is that um kane didn't kane wanted everything right yeah. he had to control everything uh, Daniel doesn't want to control everything. He just wants to be, he just wants to beat everything. Mm-hmm. And it, literally and figuratively. <laughs> and Roger Ebert said, there will be blood is not as good as Susan Kane. And I don't think he even consider them close mm-hmm. because in his mind, Kane had, I don't know if it's the innocence or the longing for something else with Rosebud Mm-hmm. Like that calling back to a more peaceful time of his life. Right. That is not something Daniel in Anderson's film has at all. I don't, I mean, I mentioned that flashback with HW, mm-hmm. but that's, I mean, we still have 20 more minutes of the movie after that scene takes place, but the Eli scene's pretty long. Yeah. And it, it, it is certainly, he, the, the I'm finished is not as, like a, a character's look back on a fond moment of his life like Rosebud mm-hmm. is in Kane. And yeah, so it's, yeah. a, it's an interesting comparison between two characters. I can definitely see where people would make the comparison. Well, and it is and it is hard when, when you watch it. It's hard not to try to make that comparison because when I was watching it this, uh, I don't know, fourth time or whatever it was, I was like, yeah, is this is this trying to be Citizen Kane? And I just couldn't find, I couldn't find that except that it it's two people who are trying to be very powerful who, you know, eventually create giant mansions in California, et cetera, et cetera. But at no point is, is Daniel trying to become more than an oil man. He's not Mm. trying to become Mm -hmm. someone in politics. He's not trying to become someone who controls uh, media outlets or anything like that. He is, he is the, he is the king of all oil. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, for his area. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly big conglomerates that are, bigger oil men than him, but he just wants to be known as an oil man. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's his thing. So there's, yeah. So while you can try to make in some, com, some comparisons and some of them may pop up while you're watching the movie. It's not, it's not citizen Kane trying to tell this life story of a man. Sure. Sure. One of the aspects that I love about there will be blood is 
the technical filmmaking side mm-hmm. of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a beautifully shot film. It is really nice. It is um, shot in Texas, which made me think this movie is based in Texas, and uh-huh. then it turns out it's actually in California. Which right, because really at one point at you're end. like, how is he going to get uh, a <laughs> pipe all the way from Texas I to know. California? <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, and you just realize, oh, he's just the next county over. Yeah, he's just, yeah, he's just in California. The... Cinematography is great. In one of the videos I linked to you is a Vimeo, mm-hmm. and it's called "There Will Be Blood by the Numbers." And mm-hmm. essentially, it is a two or three minutes long video of laying over uh, the golden ratio circle and showing you essentially how the cinematography. Who I'm going to look up because I remembered it and then I forgot his name. Uh, Robert who, uh, Elswit. Yes, who shot this film? Mm-hmm. Um, just made it so symmetrically inclined. Well, he's in, he's Paul Thomas Anderson's like go-to cinematographer cuz yeah. again, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, yeah. Punch Drunk Love. He's the he's the cinematographer of those films. So, if you really like the cinematography in this, there are some brilliant there are some brilliant bits in Boogie Nights where you're just like, "Oh, this is a masterful shot." Mm-hmm. This is perfect. I mean, so yeah, he is, he's really good. And the two of them together, I think make a great pair of just, let's knock this out of the park. Mm-hmm. And you can understand, um, even going back all the way to heart eight, where they first are working together, that this is a match that is supposed to go on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I like him as well. Yeah. The cinematography is great. And this is in the Nerdwriter video that I linked, which talks a lot about the editing, brings in the cinematography a lot because mm-hmm. the average shot length in There Will Be Blood, I believe, is 13.2 seconds. Mm. And so it's fairly long shots. Mm-hmm. But what Eskel does through the film is they take one shot and they frame it multiple ways throughout the entire thing. So the camera's moving. Yeah. It'll be like on a three shot and then cl- press it on a two and then like pan over to a one. Uh, it's a technique technique they're using constantly throughout the film, which is why when you mentioned earlier, cause this film is two hours and 45 minutes, it's a yeah. long movie, but it never feels as long as it is. I believe because even though the average shot length is long, the way they're moving the camera feels like there is a constant steady pace mm-hmm. throughout this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is wonderful because, as we talked before, if it's a long movie, it can drag on seemingly forever if it's yeah. not paced right. Right. And I think this movie is paced incredibly well. That video breaks down like the first hour of the film. It's like a 14-second shot length. Mm-hmm. And then it's the second hour is like a 13 and a half. And then the last 45 minutes, 30 minutes drops down to like 12. So they're like this, there is an increase yeah, like in pacing. Increase, yeah. And even in that, they're still like doing those alternate framings in a shot. So I don't think it feels like uh, the, the tree of life or something like that, where these long, slow yeah. shots, it's, it's well paced and moves forward uh, at a, at like a manageable rate. I think so too, but it's also, it's also one of those films where it is a quiet, it's a literally a quieter time. Yeah. And so part of that quietness has to be included in. So you might have a slower mm-hmm. take and there are things that can be said without being said a lot of the times, like the exchange that Eli and Daniel have at the train station as Eli is leaving town. It's mm-hmm. a very quiet, just looking at one another, looking back at one another and then just kind of moving on kind of stuff. 
that there's a lot of that in there. And there's also a lot of moments where you just have Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, Daniel, um, just kind of sitting there thinking in his environment mm-hmm. and trying not to let the environment make him crazy. Although, the, you know, maybe he did get crazy in the he end from the crazy. environment. Uh, but, you know, just that scene in the beginning where you see him working down in the mine, then he hauls himself out and then you see him just on this windswept plane at night and you can tell he's cold and he's just sitting there squatting there, eating his food by the fire and just dead blank stare on his face. Mm -hmm. You know, like this is my life. I can't believe this is what's going on. And it's, that is his life. And so you have these very quiet, long moments that, that work out really well, um, in, in the piece. Yeah. It's definitely a quiet movie in that there's not a lot of dialogue. I mean, the first 15 minutes are no dialogue whatsoever. And then throughout then it's, place throughout and daniel has some long speeeches he gives the town folk as mm-hmm. he's trying to buy land and, and belittle some speech. people the same, oh, speech, same speech always yeah <laughs> yeah he's got it down to an art and um it is it is I, a quiet know, I know, movie i know yeah. someone else that uh gives the same speech or at least used to give the same speech like really? every year at like you know 20 different places <laughs> and i would go to multiples of those yeah. and it's like oh he all of his quote unquote impromptu jokes are actually scripted because this person would deliver the exact same joke in the exact same pacing and have the exact same pause length in between. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like almost like in his notes, it's like pause for laughter, then move on. It's just like, wow. So yeah, that's really funny. You can kind of see that in here. We went and watched uh, Coldplay Mm -hmm. last fall Mm -hmm. and my good friend saw them three days earlier and he was watching the show again and in the middle of their Dallas performance, the, the lead singer, Chris Martin, screwed up the lyrics. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, no, we got to start over. We gotta get, I have to do my best performance for you all. Um, and w- they started the whole song over and everyone was like, oh, it's so it's uh, he's human, too. Yeah. Uh, and then our friend goes, yeah, he did that three nights ago. <laughs> they, they have it built in. They, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. purposely screws up yeah, the yeah. song. And so, you know, Daniel is doing this, too. It's it's his prepared speech, his pitch that he's making to these town folk and trying to lowball them out of their land mm-hmm. uh, so that he can he can maximize his profit. It's it's fascinating. What did you think about the score of the film? Because I think it's pretty interesting for the period it's in. Um, I really didn't pay that much. Usually I will pay attention to a score. This one I didn't really pay that much attention to. It, I think if you like just watch the first three minutes mm-hmm. again, it's really interesting because it has an eerie vibe is the only word I can really talk about. It. Cause it's like you, the first shot, I believe it's the first shot is three hills in the desert. Mm-hmm. And essentially it is this long pole of like a violin bow mm-hmm. and it's very eerie and high pitched and it sounds, uh, like you should be nervous for something. Right. And it's used again about three minutes later when Daniel comes up out of the hole. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like there is this like dichotomy of the time period we're in and the simple landscape and the town people. And then this very, it's almost modern in a way. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel like if this was maybe in the 1920s, um, this is the music you would hear or oh, the, okay. the film. Uh, it is, I don't know. It is odd to say the the least, I guess. It I think it's a little, yeah, I think there's some dissonance there. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it is, uh, it's, I don't know. It, it's just an element of this film that I think adds to it 
while taking out of its time period. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just uh, not what I was expecting from what I consider kind of a Western-ish tale. Yeah. Of, of, of a man struggling and coming out on top. Mm-hmm. One thing I do, I realize while watching this, is these landscapes, essentially, it's just like yuccas and no right. vegetation and right. just dirt. Right. And uh, not lush at all. But through watching films like this and all of the westerns that we've watched at this film, these this series, it has made me greatly appreciate like the landscape around here. We drove through New Mexico yeah. and it's very sparse. Right. Uh but I think it's like gorgeous now. Mm-hmm. And it's not the lush green palm trees of California or it's not like Hawaii or anything like that. But it is, I think, has its own stark, like harsh beauty about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, so I was just really quick. Yeah, it's uh, Johann Brahms. Uh, Johannes Brahms is the song, uh, the composer. Okay. He died in 1897, which is oh, the year before this story starts. Mm-hmm. So his stuff would have been fairly known huh. still okay. and probably very popular huh. okay. when this movie kicks off. So, you know, there's a little bit of historical well, significance going on. Interesting. Here too. It, I feel like the early 1900s are this weird time where it feels so long ago because we've had so much advancement in technology that it feels like you say like someone like Brom died in 1987. It feels mm-hmm. like that should be like the 1600s. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's just like all these people oh, you no, assume you, you lived stuff like, 100 years ago. Yeah, if you go look at the life of Mozart, it's like, <laughs> oh, uh, America had already been settled by the time Mozart was around. Yeah, you that's know, that weird. Kind of weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't things like that throw off my sense of time when I it's like yeah. no I have I had a timeline in my head please everyone stick <laughs> to it my life will be easier if we can all just assume these things were a long yes. long time ago the, that Mozart used to run around with the dinosaurs <laughs> yeah. while the pyramids were being built yeah it just makes it easier for yeah. me so what do you think there's anything wrong with there will be blood do you think there's oh, any, no like, I think fault? this is a great no I think this is a great movie like I said. Uh, with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. This is a love his work. Mm. I've always uh, get a kick out of the things that he does, some of it more than others. And this is right up there with it. I mean, I would probably go if I were to rank the the P.T. Anderson films, uh, I would probably let me pull up his uh, biography again. I would probably rank this at least in the top three Okay, uh, because I really like the master a lot. So Mm -hmm. it'd be Boogie Nights, the master and then this one. Okay, yeah. I'm really interested to watch the rest of them now that I've finally like dedicated. I would. Time I mean, go back and blood. just start. I mean, just start his stuff in order. Watch Heart Eight. Yeah. Followed by Boogie Nights. You'll start to see trends, and that's when you'll start to see everyone's you know starting to appear in oh, the movies sure. and everything. So yeah, just go back and watch Heart Eight. It's pretty easy to get a hold of. Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, which meh. <laughs> uh, and then the Master, just and Inherent Vice are all great. Mm. I'm just they're all great. They're really really good. I have watched these. Multiple times, except for Punch Drunk Love. I've watched these multiple times because they are so good. Is is Paul Thomas Anderson considered one of the great American directors? I don't know because, you know, when it comes to box office results, his films are hit and miss. Mm-hmm. Um, Punch Drunk Love, if I remember correctly, was just a flop oh, no. at the box office. Uh, because people, yeah, um, bo- uh, Punch Drunk Love was budgeted at $25 million, box office $24 million. Oh, that's not good. So, yeah, no, it was basically considered just a huge flop, oh. uh, which is real interesting because Anderson's very next film is is this film, There Will Be, there will be Blood. Mm. Um, the Master, everyone was just like, oh, this is a brilliant film. I don't think that it uh, 
did great at the box office. In fact, it didn't. It looks like most of the uh, master uh, had a budget of 32 million box office, 28 million. Oh gosh. So not great. Uh, when we look at inherent vice, the same thing, 20 million brought in 14 million. So from a, a Magnolia with Tom Cruise budget, 37 brought in 48. Uh, a win. Boogie nights. Maybe <laughs> this is the really the one that, is his big winner because yeah. it was like 15 million and Nothing. then made like 43 million oh, okay. and that's U S box office. So it could sure. have been somewhere else, but he's not, when you hear a Paul Thomas Anderson movie is coming out, you're like, Oh, I wonder how it's going to be masterfully done, hmm. but it's not going to make money. Why is that? Um, subject matter. Number one. Okay. Uh, number two might be the bitterness from the previous film. Okay. So like Boogie Nights came out and people were just like nuts for it. I mm-hmm. mean, it was, it is really, really good. And it's got huge stars in it at the time, rising stars in it. And then Magnolia comes out and people are like, I don't think I understand this film. Okay. Even with Tom Cruise in it. Cause there's this whole scene where frogs come raining from the sky towards the end of the movie. Awesome. <laughs> and I think people were just like, I have no idea what this is about. Pass. Mm-hmm. And so nobody came to it. So that then when you get Punch Drunk Love, everyone's like, oh, this will be his comeback because it's going to be a comedy because it's got uh, what's his face in it. Mm -hmm. And then the movie is just like, this is not a funny movie. This is not a comedy. It's a Mm -hmm. drama love story with a tragedy in it. And so people are like, pass. And then the next time you hear there will be blood and you're like, Paul Thomas Anderson again. Huh? Probably not. And then it comes out and it's really good. Amazing. And then the master comes out and people are like, ooh, Scientology. We better stay away from that. And then you get to Inherent Vice, which I think is hysterical and great. But again, <laughs> it is a really weird story as, as far as a detective tale goes. And people just didn't go see it. Mm. And it also didn't get a wide release. Oh. So as far as a craft, as far as understanding his craft, yeah. as far as being able to craft uh, great uh, um, performances from his actors. I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis does excellent in here. His final Gosh, speech so where it's like, I will drink your milkshake speech is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, just not a moneymaker. It's just uh, a, a film nerd. Yeah. Film nerd. Yeah. Like God. Yeah. Yeah. People would look at his stuff and say, yes, from the art side of film, mm-hmm. when we talk about film, he's a filmmaker. He's mm-hmm. not a movie maker. Mm-hmm. He's not creating something that is, I'm sure he wants it to be mass consumed. Sure. But his stuff just does not get the get mass consumer appeal that mm. it should. And it really should because it's good stuff. Mm. Top to bottom. Yeah, I'm excited to get into the rest of it because uh, this movie I, I just feel like is just masterfully done on so many levels and is uh, a film everyone should watch if they haven't had the time. Mm-hmm. They won a couple Oscars, got nominated for a oh, bunch yeah. of them. Um yeah, it, it's all there. I think if you listen to this podcast, this is a film you should take the. Oh, you definitely need two and to and take the time. And, yeah. to, and it's slow and it's not a fast pace. And I forget, there's another movie that's very similar to this or in the same kind of time period, Western kind of setting uh, that I watched around the same time as this. Uh, okay. And so there's a whole scene where I'm like, wasn't this in this movie? Why am I not seeing it this time? So I've kind of mixed a couple of movies together. But know. yeah, definitely one that people need to rush out in uh, and go see. Absolutely. Yeah. Next week. We are looking at one of the great American indie filmmakers. Yes, uh, Kevin Smith's Clerks. Yeah. Next week on Zach on Film. Should be a lot of fun. If we're talking about a true indie film, Mm -hmm. uh, Kevin Smith went to film school for like, I don't even know if he made it a full semester or not. Not long at all. And was just like, oh, I'm not putting up with this BS. I'm going to go out and make my own film. And he did. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and released it and it became a huge hit and he has been still running off of that. Oh yeah. That, uh, those fumes for, you know, decades now and yeah. for my generation, Clerks is that that thing that made my generation, especially people who are interested in film, go, oh, yes, I can do this. And I would argue that Clerks is that film that allowed so many that opened the door for so many independent people and also gave a lot of independents the courage to just go out and do it. Because mm. I'm sure they're looking at it going, if Kevin Smith can do this, so can I. Yeah, I, it's going to be a really good episode. Have you never watched it? Oh, no, I've watched it okay. like four times. All yeah, right. no, I watched it once just for an entire uh I think we had to do a video project. I'm, like, I'm just going to watch Clerks really quick and then, <laughs> okay. and then I'll procrastinate really fast and then I'll go do another video project. Cool. Yeah, that's uh, next week on Zach on Film. Yeah. Real quick, uh, some of you may remember the original art that we had for Zach on Film with Zach in his sweater waving at everybody, <laughs> oh, a little yeah. cartoon thing. That was done by Carter Johnson, who uh -huh. is a Scott Johnson's uh, daughter. She is at uh, University of Utah, UT, U of T, I forget what the thing is. She is in their art program there or their... Um, new media game media thing. Okay. She's actually designed the t-shirt for the, um, university's esports team. No way. It was, that went through competition and everything. And hers was selected as, uh, the winner. Oh, that's and that's cool. what, so if you're watching esports and it's got the university of Utah there, uh, and their shirts, Carter Johnson, who designed the logo yeah. for this, the previous logo to this, uh, she designed their shirts. Hey, that's so super that's cool. awesome. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Look at all these uh, famous cool people that come and do stuff um, for major spoilers. Uh, that's, I mean, that's actually I just really, wanted really, to really throw cool. that out there because it's a couple of weeks ago. She said, hey, check out this. And I was like, is this a, is this a competition that we need to support? She's like, nope, I already won. Oh, so I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so everyone, head over to majorspoilers.com where you can find this podcast posting page and you can give your thoughts on what we've talked about in this episode of Zach on Film or any other thoughts you had while watching Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood. While you're there, click on Amazon.com link where you can go buy a Blu-ray copy of this film. It's not going to cost you any extra money when you use that link, but a little bit will come back to Major Spoilers to help keep podcasts like this coming out to you each and every week. I am so pleased with everyone who has become a Patreon supporter. Patreon.com slash Major Spoilers. We started our Patreon program exactly a year ago hey, cool. and we have grown to 288 patrons in a year awesome i know that there's others that have grown faster than that but you know what we're slow and we're steady and we're holding our course and we're doing it because of great people like you so if you get some value out of these discussions then i would encourage you to head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers and sign up today let's see if we can get 300 people to sign up actually it'd be great if we could do 365 in a year but i'll be happy hey. with 300 yeah but uh, yeah let's get 300 people to sign up uh, before the end of August. And uh, like I said, a buck here, two bucks there that you can uh, kick in. It's uh, cheaper than a, than a cost of a movie ticket. Yes. Definitely cheaper than a cost of a bag of popcorn at your movie theater. <laughs> so uh, kick a little bit back our way and enjoy these movie discussions in the future. Next week, we will be talking Clerks on Zach on Film. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. 
Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time, minimum order $10, additional terms apply. Instacart, add life to cart.